Welcome to another message from Life Point Church, located at 400 South Abilene in Valley Center, Kansas. For more information on Life Point Church, go to our website at lpcag.org. It is our prayer to invest in generations to influence community. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Steve Rains. I want to uh, take this, this message this morning and really segue our series, our Arise series that we've been in, into back into Not Ashamed from the Book of Romans, the series that we've been uh, in Romans. As uh, in November, we did preach through Romans chapter 8, and we talked about that you're more than, that you're more than your mistakes, uh, that you're more than your loneliness, you're more than your title, your temptations, or your setbacks, or your suffer sufferings, that you're more than because of what Christ is, who Christ is, and what he's done in you. And so um, just look at your neighbor and say, you're still more than, right? And uh, that's good news. And um, uh, uh, so today, um, we're going to we're going to combine these two series that uh, we've been in as we step back into Romans beginning next month. But during the Arise series, we've looked at um, arising in responsiveness, and, and we encourage you to participate in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Many of you uh, have done that. It's been incredible to listen to reports. It's been it's just it's awesome um, just to see and to be in services as we felt the, just the presence of the Lord and sense the presence of the Lord in powerful ways. And then um, I talked to you a uh, week two of the series was the rise and consecration where we uh, challenged um, giving God our first and our best, the first of our year, 21 days, the first of our month, the first of our week, the first of our our uh, our day, and um, uh, just God, I want to, I'm all in in this thing. And then last week, Pastor Terry Yancey, your superintendent, was with us, and he delivered a powerful me uh, message called entitled "Rising to the Call." And so today, I want to take the Arise series. I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to blend it into Romans. So go to Romans chapter nine. And uh, we'll step back into Romans today, since it's been several months. I won't, I'm not going to do a bunch of catch-up from the book of Romans, but I want to talk to you this morning about a rise to the call. And um, uh, as you need to know, all this week, man, I, I've preached this message to myself over and over and over. I, um, I, I've been challenged by this message all through this week, and, um, and now I bring it to you and say, let's be challenged together. I want to talk to you about a rise to the call. The big idea this morning is this is this is about living for something bigger than your now. This is about living uh, for something bigger than than our today. This is about helping people um, discover Christ and, and uh, uh, reaching people for Christ. And so, if you were to read through Romans, and I suggest that you do, if you take some time here in the the next week or next couple weeks and read through the book of Romans. You may think, man, the, the first eight chapters are like really uh, uh, just powerful and practical and just like um, uh, pretty intense in a lot of ways. And then you get to chapters 9 through 11, and it's like, huh, what's this? And then you get to chapters 12 through 16, and it's like back to this practical, applicable stuff that it's like, wow, I can like get my teeth uh, into this, I can wrap my mind around this. But then when you hit 9 and 11, it's like a little bit challenging. It's a little bit deeper. It, 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 pushes maybe our understanding of scripture and, and what it means, but I'm excited that we're, we're a church that's not going to be about skipping over hard passages of scripture. 
It's one of the reasons why I love preaching expository, because you have to deal with, with challenging things. And, but we're going to be a church that says, man, we are going to seek it out. We're going to be lovers of truth. We're going to unpack it and dive into deep, difficult chapters. Why do I say that? Because chapter 9, as you get into chapter 9, um, Paul talks about the doctrine of predestination. How does predestination fit into the gospel? How does predestination uh, uh, fit into the idea of predestination, fit into going into all the world and preaching the gospel? If God has chose everyone to be saved, then, then why do we even have a responsibility to go and send the gospel? Because he's already selected them. Well, not, we're not going to unpack all of that today. We're not going to unpack any of it today. But, but that's what's to come. And you... you think about who's Paul is writing about in this chapter, and you're like, well, he's writing, he's talking, he's speaking of Jewish people, and why aren't all Jewish people Christians if God elects? Because it's the New Covenant. Ephesians 1 talks about that, and so we're going to tackle that in, in chapter 9, but chapter 10, we deal with the doctrine of justification, being right with God. And then how many know there's a responsibility that every person has across the face of the earth towards their salvation. The Bible says this, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How many of you are a whosoever? So there is personal responsibility in our salvation. Chapter 11, it's God's plan for Israel. There is an error of theology that is out there that is, deals with replacement theology. There's this idea that the church has replaced Israel in God's eyes. That's not true. The promise of God still stands for the Jewish people. God has a plan for them. I love what, what Warren Wiersbe said in, uh, uh, in one of uh, his commentaries. He said this of Israel. Israel is the only nation in the world with a completed past, a completed present, and a completed future. That's a powerful statement. God has a plan for them. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 11. Speaking of, of Israel and the Jewish faith, uh, uh, we weren't planning on having the Seder meal this year because uh, Rabbi Dale Cohen, who's been with us for millennia, it seems like now, um, uh, wasn't going to be in the States because he was going to be in Israel. Um, but because of the conflict that's going on in Israel, he is available and he reached out to us and said, hey, would you want me to come? And, and after prayer and, and just some consideration, we were like, okay, come on. So he will be here with us for the Seder meal on Good Friday. And so if you've never been to a Seder, um, you have an invitation to come. It's a, it's a good evening and a fun time um, just to get a better understanding. So Paul ends Romans 9, 10, and 11 with this incredible doxology. He says this. Oh, because how many know, there's th how many of you have things about your f the faith in, in God and, and, and Scripture that you're just like, I don't, I don't understand that? Any of you? The rest of you? Would you come and preach today, please? Right? Paul says this in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And how unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Some of us have tried. God, let me counsel you on this, right? But who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're, we're going to get to all of that. But before Paul goes there, 
he opens up his heart for us this morning. And we're going to see what drives him, what motivates him, and what his what is his why, his reason for getting up every day. This is this is a challenge for all of us this morning that we too would have this type of motivation. Verses 1 through 5 are insight into a heart of of a man of God. If a man of God has that heart, it's because God desires the people of God to have that heart. It's evident through the book of Romans, it's evident through all of his other writings throughout the epistles that he writes that Paul has a heart for God. But that heart is proven for his heart for people. If if we say we love God, we have to love people. With all their quirks, with all their mess, with all their stink, with all their wisdom, with all their resources, with all their issues, if we say we love God, we have to love people. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because no one has it all together as good as we do. That's a total joke. If you say you love God, you have to love people. It's part of the package. If you say your heart is on fire for God, that will be demonstrated by a desire to see people close to you and far from you knowing him. We see this lived out by Paul. Look at it in verses 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears my bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Today, I just want to give you three principles regarding this text and lost people. The first one is this, personal passion leads to personal interaction. Personal passion for the lost will lead to personal interaction with those who don't know Jesus. And it's more than interaction of just going through the checkout line and saying, hey, how was your day? How's your day? I'm fine. I'm good. How's your job? I'm doing good, too. Hey, hey, you really know how to scan. You know, it's more than that. I, I want to ask you this morning, what are you passionate about? What, what do you care about? If you're passionate about everything, you're not going to be passionate about anything. When someone is passionate, man, there is a singularity of focus about their lives. When, when someone is passionate, there is a power that drives them to a desired goal. You know, when, 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 when you meet the love of your life, there's just like, man, there's just a passion to be with that person. It's like, I got a, I got a call, I got a, I got a, you know, back in the day we used to write letters. And we... The, we had to lick the stamps. They weren't self-sticky yet. And then you lick the envelope, and you're like, and then you sprayed it with cologne or whatever, and you said, there it goes, man. When you, when you get this letter, Robin, you're going to, it's like I'm going to be in the room with you because my cologne's going to come off when you open it up. You know, you, how many remember those days? Those, just the good, good old days, right? But you're passionate. 
nothing great, nothing worthwhile, nothing significant in life is accomplished without passion. Passion wins championships. Passion pushes through weariness. It pushes through fatigue. Passion moves outside our comfort zone. Passion refuses to make excuses regarding our upbringing or our setbacks or our bad choices or, or um, things that we encountered. Passion isn't just intellectual or emotional. It's an energy that drives your whole body. It's heart, mind, soul, and spirit. No wonder God says, that's how I want you to love me. For the Apostle Paul, reaching people with the gospel wasn't just a nice thought. It wasn't a, a moral obligation or something he did for a side hustle in his life. It's what he lived for and was willing to die for. Look what he writes in Philippians. He says this in chapter 1. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed for that with... Uh, for, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Wh yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. For on your account. So that, that the fullness of Christ will envelop you. So that I can reach more people. That, that the kingdom of God would advance. And that's passion. Passion is I'm willing to stick around here. Because I understand that God is doing something. Better to stay so that people might come to know Christ. He was driven by a passion for the lost. Look how he starts chap this chapter in in Romans 1, verse 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears my, me witness in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Question, why are you starting your statement with a disclaimer, Paul? I mean, if it, your kid comes to you and like, Mom, I'm not lying. I didn't take the cookies. You know? The re listen, the reason why he is passionate about the lost, he's passionate about lost people. What he's about to say is so weighty. He recognizes that people will be like, oh, come on, Paul, really? I mean, look, look at what he says in, in verse 2 and 3. I have this great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish I, that I myself would be, were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Really, Paul? That's like, that seems like so extreme. Paul, there's a little bit of emotion going on in that text. Just breathe. Paul, lighten up. Man, we're good people. Those lost people are good people. Just, come on, man. Paul, you're just exaggerating a bit. Really? Cut off? Nope. Paul is saying, I will, listen, I will preface my words with this statement. Christ is my witness. In other words, I'm not lying before God that I feel this way, and I'm not lying before you. In fact, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to me. Man, that's like, 
statement she's going to make that verse that statement today in verse two and three i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for i wish that i myself were cursed and cut off from christ for the sake of my brothers my kinsmen according to the flesh what is he saying you know what he's saying i wish i could trade places with them with my jewish people with my jewish brothers and sisters and go to hell for them so they can go to heaven I mean, this is like a gut check, isn't it? Steve, do you love people with that intensity? Life point, do we love people with that intensity? I mean, what a standard. I so love people that I would do whatever it takes so that they could come to Christ and experience salvation. I'm going to love, I'm going to speak, I'm going to confront, I'm going to share Christ with people. That, that's Paul. I'm not going to be brash, I'm not going to be condescending, I'm not going to be disrespectful or contentious, I'm not going to litter them with guilt. I just want people to be saved, and if it were possible, if it were necessary, I would take their place. That's not, it's an unbelievable statement. It's a weighty statement. That is a rising to the cost. Paul knows, listen, Paul knows he can't do that. He knows that he can't take people's place. Or, you know, he can't exchange. Each person, listen, each person must decide for themselves where they spend eternity. Paul's like, but I'm going to do whatever I can do to make sure that they hear that message. thought of people spending eternity in hell tears them up. And, and let me just preface this this morning. This message is not about putting guilt upon us. Because guilt is a lousy, lousy motivator. This, this message is the heart of God for people. Unceasing anguish, it's, it's pain, it's, it's this incessant gnawing and, and, and pain. Some of you, you've had a toothache, right? And, and, and that toothache, it's there all day, man. You just feel it. It's like throbbing in your mouth. And, and then you go to bed at night and, and you try every position, man. You're standing on your head. You're, you're you know, putting your face up against the headboard. So just to put pressure, I mean, you're doing whatever it can, you can do to try to remove the pain. But it's, it's not going, that, that's what Paul's, that, that, it's gripped him. He can't ignore it. Think about this. Who is Paul writing about? He's writing about his countrymen. Some of whom have maligned him. Some of whom had beat him, have mocked him, have stoned him, had attacked him, have ran him out of town. And yet Paul says, I love them and I want them to be saved. Do you know what that is? That is loving the things that God loves. If I love God, I'm going to love the things that He loves. I mean, this is, this is conviction. This is a, a check-your-heart type of passage of Scripture. Do I have a passion for the lost? 
who do you know who doesn't know Jesus? Does it bother you or have you become all right with it? Does it bother me that I have family members that, that if Jesus would return today, if a tragedy would happen in their life today, that they wouldn't be in eternity? They wouldn't be in, they'll be in eternity, but they won't be in heaven. And we, we can become accustomed that we beca- can become numb to the reality of that. But it doesn't bother us. What does the compass of our life say? That billions are without Christ. Pastor Terry talked about last week. It's going to take more than missionaries and pastors and evangelists. It's going to take all of us. Does it cause you to ask yourself, what can I do? What can I give? Where can I go? Who can I invite? How should I pray? When was the last time you wept over the the, the unsaved? Aaron wrapped up our first service this morning. He was talking about, as he did, he referenced Tuesday's prayer time um, as he was here for the evening prayer time and, and the loss, the focus with missions and 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 uh, he just shared with him how he just, man, God just broke his heart for the loss. That's Paul. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And he weeps. Reminds me of the story of General William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. He had uh, put together a team of soldiers to send to the U.S. to work some of the ghettos of our nation. And they came over to the States. They served for and were laboring in the ghetto areas of our nation for three years. And and, uh, they weren't having much success, so they began to send back telegraphs back to Booth. And the first one said this, it won't work. Stop. We tried everything. Stop. The gospel isn't received here. Stop. Two days later, they received a telegram from General Booth. It read, all the 
follower of Christ and bring, bringing people to Christ. You, you hear me say it often that Jesus is life. Amen? Right? I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Those are his words, not ours. Jesus is life. And that when we give Jesus away, we receive more life. And that our faith becomes richer and deeper Christian, no, 
this in Romans chapter 9, verse 3 through 5. These aren't things that could save them, but instead pointed out their need for God. So, I mean, you look at that list, none of those things would save them. All those things were, were used to point them to God and their need for God. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is, in the, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever, amen. Several advantages to be Jew. Israelites. Doesn't that mean I, I know God because I, I'm an Israelite? Membership has its perks. No. Adoption saw themselves chosen by God, which is correct. But God chose them, and because of that, things are all good, was the thought. No. The glory, I mean, they saw the glory of God, the pillar of, of fire by night, the cloud by day, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, all these miraculous miracles of the Old Testament, they, they saw that. Moses on the mountain. How many know you can see the glory of God and not be saved by the God of glory? I mean, it happens all the time with Jesus. The covenants, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, or Jacob, Moses, David. They heard the word of God, spoke, but not transformed in their heart. Worship, access to the presence of God, encountered the presence of God but not phased by the presence of God. All the promises that we read about in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, that, that incredible lineage of people who said, this is what God did in us and through us. But what about you? So easy to have an affiliation that becomes substitution, but not transformation, which comes from the gospel. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. All those advantages, but they miss the gospel. Why? Because affiliation with the things of God is not the same as salvation. Need the gospel, they need transformation. We need the gospel. Our friends that are lost need the gospel, they need transformation, and it's a gift. Which leads us to the third thought that's about this morning. Rejection of Christ versus receiving Christ. What you keep by rejecting Christ cannot compare to what you gain by receiving Christ. Many times, if I could just unpack it this way, many times people have this idea that, man, if I come to Christ, I'm going to have to lose some things. I'm going to have to give up some things. I, I won't be able to do whatever. And so I don't want to come to Christ because they think they will lose their freedom because, uh, because, and become something less. Yet the very reason you, you need to come to faith in Christ is because you're not free. You are a slave to sin. You are in bondage. I mean, the, the sin has consumed you, it ties you up, it, it places you and causes you to do things that you don't want to do, and, or maybe things that you want to do, and it's enslaved you. you. You don't rule over it, it rules over you. And when your spiritual eyes are open, you're able to see yourself as you are a slave to sin. 
That freedom you're hanging on to is keeping you uh, from knowing God, from encountering God, from being transformed by Him. It's keeping you from knowing true purpose and true fulfillment in your life. And people think, I, I don't want to give up a lifestyle. I don't want to give up friends. I don't want to give up family. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus always wants to speak peace and always wants to speak perspective. He says, and everyone who has given up houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. You know what Jesus is saying? What I have for you is so much better than what you think you have to receive. He's saying nothing you give up for the gospel will be lost to you, but actually it will be multiplied for you. Jesus Christ is the most important thing that you can possess. The worship team would come. As the old hymn declares, I would rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I would rather have Jesus than riches untold. I would rather have him than be a king of a vast domain. I'd rather have Jesus. May that be our heart. May that be what moves us and drives us and propels us not only into this coming year of 24, but into future years like this. And Jesus says it's coming. Let me just end with two questions. affiliated with a church. Do you know him? Because is there a desire within within you that says, God, you are Yeah.
This concludes the teaching. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us for next Sunday's service with Pastor Steve Rains.